Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, I'm with... Who am I with? Who are you? I am Perrin Carroll, believe it or not. It's my first one, my first Authority Hacker podcast. Very happy Welcome to be here. on the podcast, Perrin. So Mark is not here today. Uh, I'm going to be with Perrin, and we're going to talk about a post that you have been working on quite hard. To be honest, it's a very heavy post, but it's a needed post. You know, it's one of these things, and there are a lot of things in online marketing that are just not sexy, although automation is sexy, but building it is not sexy. But that should be talked right. about a lot more, like way more than site speed, for example. And today we're going yeah. to talk about automating content creation, you know, building a content machine. And basically, how do we do to post daily on our sites? We both post daily, essentially. On House Mission, we get daily posts. Uh, your site, you also get daily posts. So that is something that we're going to talk about and how we actually achieve yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. On a pretty tight budget. I mean, a lot of organizations do that with like massive budgets. We're going to talk about that. Like it does cost money because, you know, daily content, if you outsource, it costs money, but it's, it's achievable for like even a small site builder, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Cool. So, yeah. And it's, it really is a pretty heavy topic. I think when I started this post, I was shooting for like 4,000 words and it ended up being yeah. like 6,500 words. And then we decided we needed podcasts. So, Definitely a lot to talk yeah. about. With and Mark is making a video of our process as well. So it's going to be <laughs> like, basically you have like two, three hours in front of you of content, basically. But yeah. before we get started, I'm going to introduce a new rule to a podcast. It's going to be a little bit silly, but I want to like, I don't want us to like be big heads when we talk about online marketing. I don't like that kind of attitude. So we're going to both tell you something kind of shameful, kind of weird about ourselves. And do you want to start or should I start? I think you should start. All right. So I'm going to start. And that's something that actually nobody knows, not even my girlfriend, actually. So she's going to discover it because she actually listens to a podcast. And that is that <laughs> when I go to the gym, I have like one of these code lockers. And I live in Hungary and a lot of people are Christian there, right? And the thing is, my code locker is not very good. It's like if you actually get one number right, you can see Wangle's a bit more and you could essentially figure out the code, you know, playing 30 minutes with it, and, you know, I have my phone in there. Oftentimes, I have my laptop. There's a lot of pretty valuable stuff in there. And so assuming that a lot of people are Christian, when you normally put a random code when you basically lock the locker, I actually change the code to 66666. And so I'm hoping that it's going to scare away any kind of Christian thief that actually looks at my locker. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but, yeah, that is my weird thing, my weird life thing. Your turn. Yeah, this is actually really crazy because mine was going to be that I'm a Christian who breaks into people's lockers. Oh, damn, at that the was gym. you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. No, let's see. Yeah, well, you, when we were preparing for the call, you said something embarrassing. So I think maybe I have two. The first one, I hope I can find a picture. Maybe we can put okay. it in the Facebook group or something. But for my first Halloween, my mother in her infinite wisdom dressed me up as a ballerina. So somewhere in the world, there's a picture of me dressed up as just like the girliest girl. And the thing is, like, I, I really didn't even look like a boy at that point. So I make a really good ballerina. So nobody knows. Actually, um, just and that's people. kind of embarrassing. I don't really care. Maybe 
like my wife knows, you know. Okay. <laughs> but wow. I mean, oh yeah. Like then nobody knew I was a boy for sure. Right? <laughs> so I just like was both a ballerina and a girl for Halloween. Maybe the more embarrassing one is that I I read all four four Twilight books. I can like as soon as they came out. <laughs> yeah. And the real really embarrassing thing is I I just loved it. I loved every second of it. What are you all gonna right. do? I'm going to do nothing. I think we're going to go into the topic of the podcast actually now. <laughs> that was kind of weird, but that is <laughs> okay. kind of interesting. So let's just jump back into the topic, no transition, how to automate content. And what we're going to do is since you wrote the post, I'm going to ask you questions and feel free to ask me questions back on how we do things as well on House Ambition, right? And so <laughs> the first question, and it's going to be a broad one, is like, what's the premise of the post? What do you want people to get out of this and how can they use what you wrote for their own site? Yeah, so the purpose of the post is basically kind of the business case for content automation and how to do it. I think the title is How to Automate Your Content Production and Why You Need to Do It ASAP. I mean, the idea behind it is that when you get your site or your business to a certain level, you have to eventually take yourself out of the process and start doing more strategic things, start focusing on marketing. For most of us, that's going to mean focusing on like SEO. And writing takes up lots and lots of time. I think when I'm thinking about a site, the thing that takes up probably the most just raw hours is producing content. A lot of people have heard me advocate, and we're going to talk about this in the podcast, but lots of people have heard me advocate writing content yourself to begin with, but you shouldn't be doing that for long. And a lot of people struggle. I've heard it when I was uh, doing podcasts on Niche Pursuits, and we heard a lot on the Authority Hacker Pro group. This is a big pain point for a lot of people. Where do you source content? How do you get it cheaply? Do you even want to get it cheaply? So the idea of the post is to tell you why you should do it and when you should do it, and then to give you some tips for how exactly you can put it into action. One thing I want to add as well is that because you get other people to write the content doesn't mean it's going to take no time. It still takes quite a bit of time. I mean, I am not writing most yep. of the content on Tori Hacker anymore. I don't write on Health Ambition. Yeah, a lot of my day is spent actually managing content. It's like you guys yeah. don't see it, but I spend a lot of time editing and giving feedback and kind of like drafting ideas and getting quotes from here and there, etc., and putting it together. And it is still a lot of time, but you can manage a lot more content. Like I press publish multiple times a day, every day, basically. So that allows us right. to do that. And I don't think if I was writing everything, that would even be possible. So now that we understand the goal, let's rewind to the beginning of the site that you're working on right now. How did it go with content creation? How did you start? So when I first started the, the site that I currently own and I currently run, the one that makes up the majority of my income, which you can see if you are an Authority Hacker Pro member, I basically wrote everything myself. I did that because, first of all, if you start a new site in a brand new market that you may not know anything about or you only know something about casually, then I really think to get an understanding of what people are reading, what resources are out there, and sort of the voice that you need to have for your market, you should write as much of it yourself as you can do and keep your sanity. You know, So for me, I'm a writer by trade. I wrote quite a lot for this particular site, I think I ended up writing 60,000 words, which was right around 50 articles or something. And then I ended up buying content from there and out. And now, of course, I don't write anything. But to start, I basically spent two straight months writing content. That's not necessarily the smartest thing to do. It's just fit within my skill set. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're a writer by thread. Like, 
like I look at how fast you write articles on Atari Hacker and how long they take. I'm like, yeah, like this guy, this guy, it's his job. That's not mine. And, <laughs> but one thing I want to say is that it's, even though I am a much worse writer than you, I think it's still important to still write the first post on your site. And most importantly, because that sets the tone and that sets the quality level you want. And like a good example is Atari Hacker, actually. Like, there is no way if I didn't write the first post and go completely crazy on the research and everything, etc., that I could have hired someone that takes that over and and does it to that yeah. level, you know? And that's why you basically yeah, for set sure. the and, example, you know? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, and you have to be able to, and I think we're going to talk about this too, but when you do start sourcing content from other places besides yourself, you have to be able to show people examples of content on your site and say, I want it to be like this. So at the very least, you will probably have to produce one of every type of article you want. I usually recommend that you do more than that to sort of, you know, establish a good core of content so that someone can browse your site and look at the quality and maybe you want to make some good linkable assets, but you at least have to write one article of each type of content. Maybe yeah. it's a review article or a listicle or whatever, but you have to be able to use those for examples for your writers. Yeah, that's, that's what did you guys do on Health Ambition? On Health Ambition, we actually outsourced from day one because at the time we were still running the agency, right? It's like we had money but no time. Right. And so, so that's right. what we did. But there's a lot, like right now I'm doing a content audit and I'm about to delete 100 articles, right? So obviously mm-hmm. that did cost us some more money. And now it's like I've been working very closely with our editor and we have an editor that's like a health specialist. And one thing that we did is we hired people that knew about the market. Like we actually had a friend who was very, very, like very good in the health market. I mean, Jim Dillon, he wrote the Pinterest article on Atari Hacker actually. And so he was the editor for a while and he set the tone basically like, we would have, and he already had successful sites in the niche and so on, so that was a little bit easier. But it's true that I've had to get involved a lot as an editor as well, even though I know nothing about health. I, you need to set the editorial direction. Even now, I'm still not 100% happy. Like, I want my, the sentences to be more, like, shorter and more conversational. So we're yeah. working on this, and it's like, I have to intervene as an, as an editor and, like, keep pushing and keep basically building that culture with the people that work with us to, to do that. And so, We've been outsourcing from day one, but also we have a, a lot of experience managing a lot of people. So it's like, we've, and it, it costs us a small time and money for sure not to do it initially. That could be smart too. Like if, if you are starting a website and you are not a good writer, of course, Gail and Mark are great writers, but you didn't have the time then. But if you're starting a site and you're not a great writer or you don't have time, you can hire a really good editor to create fantastic first articles. Yeah. So you don't have to write stuff yourself, but that's certainly the route you that I took just because I knew how to do it. You need to put the budget. Like, you, like don't buy right. a $15 article to start your site. You know, like, you, you need to go nuts. You know, like, sure. It's like, yeah, some of the pieces of content we've paid for are like multiple hundreds of dollars easily, even in a health niche. But yeah, that helps kind of like, then every time yeah. you hire someone, you can put that in front of them and you're like, this is the quality I want you to match. And usually, you know, you paid maybe 150 bucks for a piece of content. And because you have that example, you can show that to a writer that writes for 35 bucks and he gets 80% of that. And that is a good deal. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think the the important part here as it relates to automation is that no matter what you're doing, whether you're hiring an, uh, an editor or writing it yourself, you don't create the automation system from the get-go. You have to have a core of content first to build an automation system on top of. Yeah, actually, that was my question. Like, When did you decide to hire help and how did you go about it? Yeah, sure. So I basically, for me, I wrote as much as I could without going insane. And when I felt myself start to slip into insanity, <laughs> that's when I started hiring somebody. So at the time, I had a full-time job and a site of mine had just been penalized by Google. So I was like frantically trying to build something else and I was doing it all on nights and weekends. So this was January, February of 2015 and it was literally just every single night and weekend until I had 60,000 words written. And at that point I was like, okay, I'm not making an income from the site yet, but I feel good about this core of content. It's probably time to invest some of my money. So I ended up probably saving myself $3,000 and learning a lot about my market, which is really good, especially because with my market, there are very technical things you have to learn. Anybody who knows my articles knows that like it, it's important to get right for my niche because I'm in the pets niche and like people's pets can get hurt if you yeah. have, you know, like bad information. So it was good. But when I just couldn't do it anymore, I had to make the decision to start investing my my own money and uh, start automating at first at a small scale until the site could pay for its own content. What kind of scale are we talking about? So when I first started automating, I was investing all of my own money. And when you do that, when you're not going to have like recurring monthly orders, I think typically it's best to, and we're going to talk about the different types of systems, I'm sure, but realistically you're working with like one-off projects. So when I first started, I was, I was working with individual freelancers doing batches of articles. So I think my first batch was like five articles mm. for a couple different freelancers. When I found a person I liked who understood my instructions, who understood the voice of the site and could research the content well enough to produce good articles because, it, because the quality was very important to me. Then I took that person and gave them slightly bigger batches. And I only did that up until I had, I think, 70 or 80 articles. And then I stopped. So it was it was automation. It was like maybe halfway automation. I wasn't writing the content myself, but it was still very hands-on. There was quite a few hours spent in like the hiring process and the editing process. But as I started to find good freelancers, they got bigger and bigger batches. But then I stopped until the site was earning money. How did you decide someone was a good freelancer, actually? Just with my own editing experience, mostly. Okay. I mean, there are lots of stuff that I look for in a good freelancer, aside from just article quality. I cannot stand when people are late. So if somebody is late once, I just don't work with them again. I'm late for um, the podcast, guys, so I'm sorry. Pat. Yeah. <laughs> but you were at the gym, right? And yeah. no one, you need to get buff. So, but yeah, I want someone who's very responsive and who writes really fast. I don't even care if there are like necessarily a few typos here and there. I just want very good research and uh, articles that are turned around really quickly. So that's what I personally look for. And then I just read the articles that they're submitting. And, you know, I want to make sure they're not BSing. I want to make sure that every sentence counts. I want to make sure that they're following my instructions. So, you know, you go through like one or two people if you're paying the correct rates, which is 
right now, like between 30 and 40 cents a word. I'm sorry, three or four cents yeah, a word. Yeah, that would be expensive. Uh, yeah, my goodness. But when you find someone, usually those people will like start to get to know you and then you can give them bigger and bigger batches on a more regular basis. Yeah. So actually the way we find writers for us is we give like 10 people the same article. Yeah. And then we actually compare them with each other. So it's like, it doesn't become like, I mean, obviously we have a threshold of quality, but like uh, it happens that there's like four or five good ones. And then it's like, who is the best one? It's easier to answer who is the best one rather than saying this one is good, this one is bad. And essentially like from each round, we try to hire one or two maximum and then we just run another round. So I, we also run a lot of stuff through like Grammarly and we run it through like Hemingway app if people know. Uh, I might link to that in the post as well. But like we, we, we have a few tools that actually help as well. Obviously these are automated tools. So like they, they don't replace a human editor. And now we have an, uh, an editor. So we can actually give that to, to her. But th- yeah, it's like, uh, I like being able to compare. Like it's easier for me to answer the question, which one is the best rather than like, is this good? Is this bad? Yeah, for sure. And I certainly do that myself. I think maybe the one downside is if you're on a really tight budget and every article counts, you don't want 10 copies of the same article. You want to be able to use it every article. But I think that's pretty rare for the Authority Hacker audience, honestly. I think probably most people are willing to invest a couple hundred bucks or whatever it costs to find a good writer they can use. I mean, you can't automate content without money anyway. So. Yeah, it's like it's the next step. It's not the the startup phase. How do you communicate with writers? Do you use any kind of like productivity tool or like any kind of communication system, or are you like old school Excel spreadsheet email? Yeah, I think I am probably an anomaly with most people. I really can't stand productivity tools. I think they're not useful unless you have like ten or. Yeah, <laughs> I invited you on Asana. You, you never replied to anything. So <laughs> I know I'm bad about it. Like that's that's my uh, downfall as an employee for sure. But like, if I don't have a team of like ten people, I find that they waste more time for me as a manager personally. And I don't like you know like learning new tech or whatever. And writers especially, I feel like if you ask them to learn tech, they are really annoyed unless you're going to like hire them full time. Um, so what I, I typically do, and this is different at different levels, you know, because like when you start using project managers or marketplaces, it becomes a different sort of thing. But for writers, I feel like I can get the fastest writing and make them the most comfortable by just giving them instructions via email and then having them send me 10 documents via email. At its simplest, I usually prefer just to use email. And if, say, a writer is going to work with me for a long time, then I might create a Excel spreadsheet of like titles with like subheadings and some more special instructions and stuff that we just share. But I think for the whole life of my site, I basically just use email and Google Docs. Okay, that's, that's what we're different, actually. We use Asana a lot. Actually, Mark just sent me a video where he walks you guys through that, so you'll be able to check it out. And by the way, the blog post is going to be on atarihacker.com slash content-automation. So if you want to check out the video, we have a bunch of examples and screenshots and, and a lot of words. <laughs> so if you're going to check out more about that topic, you should check it out. But yeah, it's like for us, we have like six people working on the process. So we have two writers, we have one editor, we have one uploader, and there's Mark and I. I mean, Mark is kind of like the general project manager. And I'm more doing the strategy keyword research, topic selection, that kind of stuff. And email with six people with everyone CCing each other 
would be a complete nightmare right now. And so, like, we're actually using Asana, and the reason we use Asana and we don't use a tool like CoSchedule, for example, which is made for content, is because of the way subtasks work in Asana. They allow you to, you know, have unlimited levels of subtasks. So it's like, maybe there is one thing, like, the editor can have the task of overall taking care of the article, then the writing can be assigned to the writer under that, and then the writer can like sub-assign some research to some guy, etc. So as the system becomes more complex, we actually can like put like responsibilities on everyone's shoulders for the right tasks. So it works pretty well for us. Anyway, it's going to be quite complicated to explain on the podcast, so I suggest you go on content-automation yeah. on atarihacker.com, and there's a video there where you can see Mark walk you through. So that I think, uh, is what you use. Yeah, I think probably the takeaway there is that when you start to have multiple people working on the same article, you need maybe a more complex project yeah. management system. For me, my writer researches, writes, and uploads everything. And that's just the type of system I prefer. At Health Ambition, there might be six people touching the same article. When it's moving through that sort of assembly line, because the scale is so big, you know, you need that sort of assembly line, then I think you need more advanced tools. And that's where they become very useful. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have that one. Like, even on Atari Hacker, we don't really have that right now. It's like we don't right. post enough or whatever to handle that. And uh, like we have it, but it's not super up to date, etc. People like it's more of a guideline than like a real system. On health ambition, sure. if it goes out of out of date, it's like I have no idea what's going on. So, <laughs> so it's like it's it's quite important. Now, so far we've talked about basically hired writers, like freelancers that you might find on places like Upwork, on the Pro Blogger job board, that kind of stuff. But actually, you also just finished a blog post that we'll post a bit later, testing a bunch of marketplaces, right? Did doing that case study make you want to use any of these marketplaces? And if you didn't have a system today, would you consider any of them? Yes, yeah, so currently I do use a marketplace. I use a combination well right now i 100% use an agency so we've okay. been using agencies and, and marketplaces interchangeably but they're really kind of different things what were you yeah. saying that's what i wanted to say i wanted to say like you're using an agency right now you have like you know it's someone you can talk to whereas like if you're using a text broker it's like you're inputting your order it just spits it out and then that's it so like would you rely on these kind of services or like would you if you had nothing today yes i would if i had money to spend for sure I kind of went through an evolution with my site as I started to figure out content automation and as a site, because right now this site earns more than any site ever has for me, right? So as a site started to earn more, I was able to try different things with automation and do things at a different scale. So when I first started automation, I found a couple of freelancers that I liked. Those freelancers, all they did was write. And I would edit the articles and then I would post the articles. That becomes less and less feasible as you order content, right? So then I ended up trying a couple of different things. I used a marketplace, which is something like text broker or iWriter, where you can submit instructions, order 50 articles at once, you get them all back. And then you would like edit and post them in batches or maybe pay an assistant to edit and post them in batches. The system that I settled on for myself currently is using an agency where I have one project manager and at my scale, I might need to upgrade this soon, but one project manager and one writer. 
So that project manager handles all the communication with the writer. I just kind of tell them what they want. And the writer, because he is a regular writer for my site, can also handle the uploading process. And I don't have an editor. This writer is good enough that he can essentially edit himself. I do like that. What it allows me to do is only email a list of keywords and then just see the content show up on my site. I'm relying on two other people, but it's also an agency. So if that writer is sick or he leaves, there's a, they have systems in process, but I really, really like it. And those are certainly good solutions when you start to scale and if you and if you want to grow fast, right? So if I wanted to start a site today and I'm thinking about it, I have a few ideas in mind for sites that I want to start today, if I wanted to like launch a site with 100 articles within the month, I can't do that myself. I would need to hire somebody to do it. So yeah, I do like them and I do use them. And you guys have gone through a few iterations with yeah. Health <laughs> Ambition too, right? Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot. I mean, we started with Pro, the ProBlogger Marketplace when we started the site. Did all right, not great, but all right. Then we hired this editor guy I talked about that was our friend Jim Dillon that wrote a bunch and kind of like did the job of setting the tone. Back in the day, we were still figuring out like this model, right? We had no idea how to make authority sites work or anything. So we would do things much differently today. So he actually did the job of setting the tone. He actually introduced us to a few other health bloggers that wrote for us and so on. Then we went through a few iterations of changing the team, etc. Some good, some not so good. Then we use text broker quite a bit. I mean, we spent quite a lot of money in text broker. We're like in the gold level or whatever it is. So that, but text broker was a bit of a hit and miss. You know, it's like it was a hit like eighty percent of the time, right? But when you order like a hundred articles, that means even at eighty percent of the time, that means you're gonna have twenty articles that are miss. It's a bit of a pain. So as we're moving to larger volumes, we actually constituted our current editorial team. Well, the first job was to actually hire an editor, like someone that was very knowledgeable about the topic that was going to be what we call the content gatekeeper. So she's the girl that like we, that basically if the content is not good quality on the site, we're going to blame her. We're like, you'll have the sole responsibility of the quality of the content. If you let anything pass by that is low quality, that is you. That's not the writers, that's you. Yeah. So your job is to put pressure yeah. back on the writers so they send you back high quality content. And Edit the content if you feel they can't do it or if you feel you can add value to it. But that's your job. And no, and then after that, below her, she was writing at the beginning so she could actually train and we were playing the editors so she could actually feel that kind of like counter power system that we put in place. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when she got good enough, then we started hiring writers and like she was actually vetting the writers with us, et cetera. So it's like, it's her team. And so, and so now, now there's like two writers that write under her. And she is doing that counter power thing that we were doing at the beginning. And it's effectively transferred to her. So that is how it went. And that's why now it's like a little bit complicated. And we have the person that also takes care of like images and formatting and uploading, et cetera. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But that's essentially all the iterations we went through. The current one being by far the best one. Yeah. I so I think maybe if we take like... Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, if we take like one or two... Stuff, back. I think the trend is when you start automating content, you 
you're probably not going to spend as much money, but you're going to spend more of your time getting the system right and making sure the content is right. And then as you progress, you spend less time, but more money. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Yeah. I mean, my first hire, if I was to do that again, I would try to make sure my first hire can become my editor and content gatekeeper. I would really want them to be able to evolve right. to that role so that if the site works out, like I can just promote them and put people below them. Essentially, like, you know, building that pyramid. And making sure it's not just an okay writer, making sure it's someone that's really tuned in on the topic. And I wanted to ask you at least one thing. It's like you said that, you know, you give a keyword and you get content posted on your site and people upload, etc. Do you still review the content that comes in at all or does it just happen? I spot check my content, but for the most part, it just happens. Now, if that seems great and it seems lazy on my part, please keep in mind that I went through many, many hours of training with this particular writer and this particular project manager so that they would know exactly what I want. And I think this is a very important point when you're talking about content automation. I think the most important thing in content automation when you're building that machine is training. That means talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. That means creating really amazing article briefs. And we're going to show you some examples if you just scroll down uh, on the page that this podcast is posted on, on Authority Hacker. It also means like creating tutorial videos for posting or walking through examples. So I maybe spent 10 or 15 hours creating documentation and talking to the project manager and the writer who now do the content. But by spending that 15 hours, and it might have even been more, they know exactly what I want and they can follow a list of steps to get the content on the site without having to talk to me. So periodically, once a week or whenever my agency ends up posting the content on the site, I'll go through and I'll like spot check and I'll read some stuff. And if there's anything egregious that we need to correct, then I will email them or like maybe after a batch of 20 or 30 articles, I'll, I'll say, you know, let's do, let's make this small change from now on, you know, like yeah. Maybe instead of putting the sources at the end of the article, we can include them as hyperlinks or whatever it is, you know, like those little small changes that you just go through. But so, yeah, I think training is the most important thing. And because I spent so much of my, my own time, I invested energy into creating really good training systems. You can do that for either four agencies if you have a project manager. Now, the content just appears on my site, which was my end goal when I was trying to automate my own content. Yeah, it's just you won't get down day one. It's like people shouldn't expect that. Uh, uh, one thing I want to say is documenting right. is very boring. We've done quite a bit of that for the Authority yes. Hacker Pro members. And I remember creating that blueprint that was, that was like hours and hours of like reverse engineering a lot of types of content and so on. So actually, like if you're an Authority Hacker Pro member, just go in the creating and outsourcing top content. That's going to help. But yeah, uh, we're going to give you some examples in the blog post if you're not a member as well. So you, you can get an idea of what you should be creating. Another thing I want to ask as well is since you are creating so much content, how do you make sure you don't cover the same topic twice and you don't cannibalize your keywords? Uh, well, it does happen from time to time, but for the most part, that's just my responsibility and that's keeping that's me keeping track of the editorial system. So I'm not in there editing every article. I rely on the agency to do that, but I am setting the strategy and doing all of the keyword research, right? And so... I need to keep that documented for myself. And I have just like a big list of keywords. So as I'm doing keyword research, I might check it then. Also, I just have a lot of it in my own head because I've worked on the site for, you know, 18 months now or something. Yeah, you making sure that I'm not, right. Making sure that I don't, making sure that I don't cannibalize my own keywords 
and rewrite too many of the same articles, that's mostly on me. And if I were to hire someone to do that, maybe I'm hiring like a content manager because my site is getting really big and I want to take the next step. You know, if I'm getting up towards health ambition levels, that would have to be part of the training for that person too. They would need to understand what content is already on the site or how to search the site to see if there are similar types of articles already written and that sort of thing. But right now, for my site at my level, it's mostly in my head and in a few Google Docs where I just have a list of all the keywords that I'm working on. Yeah, well, I had to actually update that recently. I had to go through every single piece of content and like put the oh, keywords. Oh, I remember that. That was fun. That was 20 yeah. hours of my time. Uh, <laughs> so, and aren't you going to delete like a whole bunch now? Yes. And the, the, I mean, I said that earlier, I'm good. I mean, we'll try and then we'll see what happens and we'll probably report on the results, but we need to give it some time to first to do it and second to actually get results that are like right. not, not flukes. So like don't expect anything for at least three months on our right. end about this. In terms of uploading the content, you said like your writer uploads it. How about the agency? They upload it as well? Yeah. So the writer's part of the agency and he does all of the creation process from research to writing to uploading. So you can't do that with necessarily every agency, but with my particular agency, and it's it's also because I have a really good relationship with them, right? I've known them for a long time. I've been giving them business forever. So they give me some special treatment sometimes, and they didn't do this for me at the beginning. So it's not like with my first order, they started uploading my content. But I mean, you're pairing from these you know, pursuits, you know, you get some some VAP treatment, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. I have, <laughs> I have a little bit of weight to throw around. But like when I got to a level where I was giving them between like $900 and $1,500 every month, then you can ask for certain things, especially because like, you know, the writer enjoyed working with me, enjoyed working on my site. He liked the content. I'm an easy person to work with, that sort of thing. Then you can say, you know, what would be like, can I pay you two or three more cents per word? And then you guys can handle the uploading process. Here are the tutorials I've created. And whether you're working with a freelancer or an editor or an agency, you can take those steps incrementally so that you can train people to do the stuff for you. I'm a big fan of training one person to do everything. And I think, you know, there are lots of differing opinions like that. You can see the difference between me and health ambition here. But I love not touching the content at all. So training one writer to research all the stuff, write really good stuff, upload it, and then the project manager checks it is just a really good way for me to do it. And what ends up happening, the ancillary benefit, is that that writer, after he's written, you know, this guy's written maybe 150 articles for my site, he knows a lot about the subject matter. I mean, he's more of an expert than 99% of the people. So the other benefit is that he knows my site really well, he knows the technical aspect, and he knows a lot about the subject matter. So that's just the way I like to do it. Yeah, you don't do so like crazy formatting with trials. So like we've done a lot of that. Atari hacker and like that's I kind of started a trend. I see a lot of people doing like really <laughs> fancy formatting on their <laughs> sites. And it's like actually we're kind of coming back from that. If you check our past posts in the past like six months, they don't have that crazy formatting. And the truth is, yeah, it gets a little bit less shares when you don't do this fancy formatting. But I feel like a lot of people go overboard with that as well. But you don't do too much of that, right? No, I do have some tables and stuff, but for that sort of thing, I cover in a really extensive video tutorial. So, for example, like with my product review articles, 
I'll include a table that's built in Thrive and it has, you know, places for everything. And then it takes a little bit of learning to understand it and to use it. I save it as a template and I make it as simple as possible, but it's just part of the uploading process and it's not for every article. With some uh, like a new site, I would probably just say, you know, like put them in bullet points and that's enough for now. And then if the site starts to get traffic, if those articles get traffic, you can go do some formatting or whatever. But yeah, so like I try to make it as simple as possible for the writer because, you know, if I do make it too complicated, they are going to charge me more per yeah. word. So it's a cost thing for me, but I also don't want to drive the writer crazy. Um, and I, I don't think there's enough of a benefit from really fancy formatting in my niche, which is just a B2C niche. Like obviously with a authority hack, formatting is very important. And the epicness of the article is important. With my niche, we just need to answer the question, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, we do the same on Health Ambition. I mean, most articles don't have fancy formatting at all, actually. And it's just much faster. But I think one thing you said that's quite important is trying to do all that stuff on every post is going to cost money. And the truth yeah. is not every piece of content is successful. Maybe one in 10 is very successful and still a widely profitable business because this piece of content is going to make enough money to cover 100 more pieces of content, right? But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And one thing that we're trying to apply health ambition is the minimum effective dose, right? It's actually something Tim Ferriss talks about, I think, in a four-hour body where he's like, well, you don't need to train like crazy. You just need to do enough right. to kick in like these all these mechanisms in your body for it to build itself. And so I think the idea of actually being minimal when you post and then kind of getting back to it and making the post better when you see them take off as a process for your site is probably a lot more cost efficient than trying to make every single post epic, actually. And uh, that goes together with the long content, short content thing you wrote as well, where you can start with short content, see how you fare, and then kind of like expand on that. For sure. I was going to ask, um, like, how do you manage that with your writer, by the way? How do you manage that process? Which process? Of taking short content and making it long content. Yeah, so that's something we actually struggled with because it's a weird thing to do is to go revisit stuff you've already written and find it and then add stuff to it. But like anything, it's just a process and you have to create a new process. So for that, I basically treated it like a new article type. So we, we have certain article types, like one is like a listicle, one is a product review, one might be like epic skyscraper piece. We've got a brief for that. I ended up just creating a new brief for improving content. Mm -hmm. And that process looks something like, here's a piece of winning content. Look at the top one, two, three, five results in Google. See what they're covering that we are not yet covering. And then add that information. See if we can do it better. Cite some sources. Your goal is to add 800 or 1,000 words or whatever. So, it's a different process, and so I just treated it like a new article brief. And I feel like that's kind of the way you have to do stuff like that. If you like, you don't want to like force instructions to work with articles that they're not meant for. If it's a new process, just go spend the time to create the proper training documentation. Yeah, don't wing it. Right. But like, uh, my last question, I guess, is going to be. I mean, you'll tell me if it's my last question, but my one other question I have is how well did that do to actually update that kind of content in search? It really hasn't been enough time yet. I think maybe it's only been like a month and a half since okay. we 
did that a lot. And I mostly did that for pieces that were already doing really well, mm-hmm. but pieces for which I was getting new competitors and I wanted to just make sure I stayed on top. So for those sorts of content, I haven't really been able to tell because I wasn't climbing the ladder. I was already at the top of the ladder. Okay, One piece in particular was like 700 word, word article for like a 44,000 search term keyword. <laughs> and I ended up ranking number one and number two. And then I saw those types of keywords being written by like a whole bunch of sites. And so I went back and I added 1500 words to that article. And now it's really long, but I'm not going to see results from that. I'm, yeah, you say that. You stay know. on top. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So cool. Well, I think we covered a lot of stuff right now. Is there anything that you think that I should have asked that I didn't ask? I think maybe, and we probably should have done this at the beginning, but <laughs> just a really quick and simple breakdown of the different types of automation systems you can have might be useful. No, we're going to tease people and we're going to tell them to go read the <laughs> okay. post, actually. So guys, if you want the <laughs> okay. different types, if you want the whole breakdown, go on authorityhacker.com slash content dash automation. It's the latest Bam. post if you're just downloading this as the latest podcast. So go check it out on the blog. And and yeah. because I do I th- have one question for you. Okay, go ahead. So Health Ambitions is doing really well. You're making some changes. You are building insane amounts of links, right? The idea is yeah. that in a year or two or three years, it's going to be a truly massive site. So now you have six people working for you. I wonder what you envision as like sort of the end game of content automation for a site that's maybe making $50,000 a month, $100,000 a month. I think it's going to be the same, except that we're going to treat categories as like, what we're treating the whole site like. So it's like there's going to be right. one editor for each category. There's going to be writers for each category. They're going to be specialized. And yeah, it's like basically the system we have built now is like we just need to create different projects on Asana for each category instead of the whole blog. But I think that scales for essentially that's how the Huffington Post works. It's just yep. like they just break, they take the same system and they build micro teams. I mean, you can't imagine a team of like, 200 people working on the same piece of content that would make no sense so it's just going to be like building more small teams like that and building small cells of people working together and coordinating everything and making sure that there's a broader strategy for everything so yeah that's i think like we actually have one cell that is in place right now maybe we can add like another one or two writers to it but then after that, I wouldn't want to make it bigger. Actually, I want—I would want to keep it exactly the same. Probably add like designers as well in there. So I, I'm looking at yeah. creating more like customized infographic for each post and that kind of stuff, because Pinterest is working really well for us, and there's more and more social media is based on images. So something we're looking at, and probably I would add that to the cell. But other than that, I mean, we have everything. We have the writers, we have the editor, we have the uploader, formatter, kind of like person that takes care of putting it on the site, add a designer on top of it, and like the coordinator can coordinate several teams. And essentially, yeah, I think you can handle posting like 20 times a day with like like three or four of these teams. Yeah, and and maybe the final step after that is having contributors if you're ever big enough and uh, yeah. and and only employing editors or whatever. The thing is, right now <laughs> what I'm finding is that processing guest posts to be up to our editorial standards yeah. is more expensive than paying writers because the editors yes. spend way more time. And so actually we're not taking guest posts anymore because because of our high standards and because most people submitting guest posts have low standards and fixing their stuff costs more money than paying a writer. So yeah, 
maybe uh, it will depend. Basically, it would work if these people are real influencers and were big enough to attract these people. Then yes, and you know they contribute like not just content but like their audience. Then that totally that would make sense. So I would be happy to invest in that to to make that content up to our standards. If it's just nobody's trying to build links, not really. <laughs> For sure. So I think we're gonna close this podcast. Did you want to add one last thing, or are you good? I think I'm good. If we're gonna uh, let people awesome. read the blog post, I mean it's huge. So how was your first podcast? I think it's pretty good. You guys tell me. Yeah. Comment, leave <laughs> reviews, trash me. I don't care. Hashtag uh, Perry no. is back. Let's, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's yeah. see. Let's see if anyone tweets that. Cool. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. Obviously, there will be more. And guys, thanks for taking the time to listen to that. Go check the blog post atarihacker.com slash content dash automation. And we'll see you guys for the next one. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.